Hello, everyone, and welcome to In This Economy, the podcast where young people from Zimbabwe and around the world discuss how they are navigating life in the current economic circumstances. With me, your host, Kim Yajeka. So this week's episode was one I was a little bit hesitant to explore and unpack, um, mostly because of the apparent risks that come with putting a microphone in front of a man to discuss gender roles. Um, and this is a completely self-inflicted reputation created by men who create platforms where they sit around and spit really harmful rhetoric about gender roles. And I don't think anyone should subscribe to those, um, both like literally subscribe to the channels, but also like in thought. That's just me, though. Um, but I couldn't ignore it because a lot of in a lot of episodes, one of the comments that has been shared by a number of guests is that there are different pressures that the economy creates, the current circumstances create, but those are felt a little bit differently or quite differently by men. So I thought it would be interesting to explore what those pressures specific to men are, how they work, and if they're actually warranted. Is it a pressure that is valid and should be felt by men alone, or is it something that's impacting, you know, all of us? Um, because aside from, you know, political theory and, you know, feminist thought that challenges gender roles, that we're in a time where our circumstances are literally just, they don't leave room for traditional patriarchal roles to exist, if we are being completely honest. And um, this isn't the first time in history that this has happened. There have been centuries where everything has changed and um, the role of women has been challenged simply because of the circumstances. You just can't afford to have single-income households. You can't afford to have a sole caregiver for children um, and all of that. So while all of this is going on, I just thought it would be interesting to explore this issue of manhood. Um, my guests and I also go into discussing a lot of gender roles, the impact that it has on our society, and if it's possible for these things to actually exist in this day and age. So I hope you do enjoy the episode. I hope it is challenging and it does spark conversations, which I think are important and need to be had as we progress as a society. I'm a firm believer that culture is not static. What we understand to be the way things should be can always change. This is how things have always been is a terrible explanation to justify any sort of a harmful practices and harmful social norms. So I hope you do enjoy the episode and let's engage further. Please do not forget to follow the podcast on Instagram at in this economy podcast on Instagram. Yeah. And follow me, your host at Kim Yajeka on Twitter. As always, let's keep the conversation going and yeah, enjoy the episode. So for today's episode, we are discussing the patriarchy in this economy with my wonderful guest, Kura, who I'm so excited to interview. Hi, Kura. Hi, Kim. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Do you want to introduce yourself quickly for the people? Okay. Yeah. So my name is Kura Kwashi Nyangoni. I'm a 24-year-old accountancy student, and I have a newsletter that I write called Kura Speaks. That's so great, and definitely plug everyone to that. I think it's really good. Your first one, I really enjoyed. Thank you, yeah. thank you. <laughs> no worries. Um, so today we're just going to be discussing if it is possible to be a man, I guess, in the traditional sense of this economy, because a lot of my guests talk about how in their experiences as women, um, they obviously, 
I experience the economy in a different way. But one flyaway comment I hear a lot is that, yeah, but for men it's different. There's a different pressure. Or for men it's different. This is going on for them. And I've been a little bit hesitant, I won't lie about this one. Yeah. But I was like, okay, what is so different? Like, what is the difference? What are men experiencing? And is it possible to, I guess, live up to the expectations and what you're expected to achieve, accomplish under the economic circumstances? Because everything is changing, but expectations are the same. Yeah, I think maybe with men, the, the pressure that's there is because maybe men as a gender haven't really like changed in terms of the aspirations and their values. So men are expected to be independent, self-reliant, to be leaders and to be assertive. But 21st century Zimbabwe, you know, the economy is imploding. It's very difficult to kind of live up to those expectations because everything hinges on your financial stability. And I think that there's a very strong pressure to like be on top and to always have more money than your partner in romantic situations. So yeah, for men, um, you have to go above and beyond, so to speak, yeah. only to just get half of what you normally get if things were functional. Mm. So in addition to having a job, you also have to have a side thing to supplement your income because um, with uh, formal work, people aren't earning as much to sustain themselves. I think, I'm not so sure if you're aware, like the brain drain that's happening in the auditing industry, mm. you know, a lot of people are leaving because in Zim you're likely earning five to ten times less than your counterparts elsewhere. So it's like people do their articles for three years, first thing, they leave because, you know, the prospects are better. So I think, yeah, for men, the pressure to provide, to protect in this capitalistic world we live in, everything is about how much money you have. Your physical strength is not really relevant or, you know, technical knowledge. It's more secondary now. It's more about how much money do you have and are you able to provide for yourself and for your family. So I think that segues nicely into my first question is outside of having a great amount of money, huge wealth from less than legitimate means, or being a part of a religious institution which kind of justifies poverty um, and in just living in a very basic life, is it possible for young men to be proper patriarchs in today's society? And by that I mean you're the breadwinner, your wife is at home taking care of the kids, and you as the man are the one making money, fix everything. You can justifiably be an absentee parent because you're working so hard. Uh, is that possible? I think maybe to like be able to sustain yourself and your family, you know, it's still a matter of like going above and beyond, as I said, doing things just to be able to make ends meet. You know, a lot of people are starting businesses, not necessarily because they're profitable, but because they're trying to make sure that there's always a little bit of money coming in. And yeah, for men, I think it's definitely getting harder. People are thinking about starting families later because of, you know, the trends. People are abstaining even from dating because it's like, if you're a man and you're broke, what's the point, <laughs> you know? I, I think in my experience, um, 
broke men are not abstaining from dating. <laughs> they are just putting women through things. So, no, but honestly, there's like this expectation where it's so noble for like a guy to think, oh, I don't have money, so I'm not going to, you know, date. I'm not going to do these because I, I can't meet these expectations. But it's weird because there'll still be men who expect to be held like, oh, I'm the man in the situation. But they're not providing exactly. what they're supposed to be. But they're still very exactly. entitled to what the woman, her gender role is supposed to be fulfilled, whereas you aren't fulfilling yours in the most traditional sense of the term, but still having that expectation. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a more like a cultural thing. Yeah. Because people are still very attached to gender roles in a shorter traditional sense of things. So even though dynamics may change, you may find that the woman's earning more, but men will try to micromanage those finances and yeah my my thing with patriarching correctly is that <laughs> there's a <laughs> I, I don't like that term because it's very constricting and with gender roles and gender norms it just complicates certain things that don't need to be complicated I think for me growing up I grew up in a very liberal you know, set up where it's like my parents would make us do chores and they would be shared equally. Not necessarily because I'm a boy, I'm supposed to do boy stuff or my sisters were supposed to do girl stuff. So, I don't know, I'm like half attached <laughs> in a sense to that whole idea of relationships being arranged in one way where it's like a man is at the top, he's supposed to earn more, he's supposed to be the leader. He's an absentee parent. I'm more like leaning towards blurring all those lines. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think for me, in my experience, especially growing up, is I. We, I also grew up in quite a liberal household, but for some reason there was still this underlying cultural expectation, I guess, because the environment around extended family being in Zimbabwe and all of the culture sort of being imposed on you in different ways. You kind of create, there's this expectation that needs to be created, like that is created. And then as a woman where I see, I'm like, okay, this is how it's supposed to be, quote unquote, but this is actually not how it is. Um, it makes it a very challenging space to navigate. Um, and I find it myself is actually in dating someone that didn't have a lot of money, I didn't realize how like my cult, that culture was like ingrained in me, that my expectation is that the man pays for dates, the man does this. And it bothered me watching someone watch me pay for things. I'm like, so you're just so comfortable <laughs> sitting there watching me pay for something and you kind of look at yourself like, oh, is this, is this you? Is this a problem? Um, so that's really fascinating. Interesting, yeah. yeah. I think for me it's like, a, like there have been times where it's like my mom was earning more money in the house and with my aunts and uncles as well. It's like my aunt was the one who was earning more so to be able to kind of like see my parents handle that gracefully as well as like my extendeds, you know, I think it's like it opened me up to the idea of other things being possible. Mm. But I can also say like I was in a very, uh, you can call it a cocoon in a sense, mm. where it's like I didn't really encounter these notions about patriarchy up until I was much older in university and yeah like meeting more extended families and weddings happening, funerals, funerals happening. 
and seeing like those social settings, seeing how things were playing out during that time, that was a bit jarring. Yeah. <laughs> in a way, and yeah, I think for me, college life was like an eye-opening experience because I thought everyone was on a liberal sort of trajectory yeah. only to realize that we're actually very conservative mm. all across the board yeah. <laughs> and I was like the odd one out and I was trying to like navigate that situation as well yeah so in trying to navigate that situation do you feel like um, the culture the standards that capitalism patriarchy all of those put on men how do those negatively affect men if they do at all how mm. I would say um, maybe like going back to how masculinity is constructed um, values of self-reliance social dominance um, emotional repression they negatively affect men because men well I'll start with self-reliance and say self-reliance can be very extreme in that men tend not to open up and share their struggles and what that does is a lot of psychological trauma goes unchecked because men are supposed to deal with their problems or whatever is going on in their personal lives alone. Um, with normalizing of violence, men get bullied at a very young age. It's either from peers or the parents of home, domestic violence. And it's like, it's normally seen as character development, but it breaks the person down. And so, with, uh, it kind of ties into emotional repression as well. Because as you're experiencing these traumatic events, whether it's at school or at home, maybe you're being like emasculated for your body, or you're being made fun of for your financial status at school, or someone's taking your lunch money, things like that. Things, you're just kind of like expected to stomach it, just suck it in and keep it moving and in the end people are just like bottling up all this violence and for a lot of men it's like you can't be emotionally vulnerable because it's a weakness yeah. and expressing yourself through crying or even just like talking about your problems you're automatically seen as someone who's not in control someone who's struggling with their life and so a lot of people just find things that are harmful to cope that's why there's a lot of substance abuse going on amongst men. That's why suicide rates amongst men are higher, even though like the suicide attempt rates are the same, but men use more violent means, which ended up resulting in like more suicides happening. With uh, emotional repression as well is that um, because the expression of what men are going through is, uh, is limited, um, it kind of tends to filter into affecting women and children, like in familial settings. So women bear the brunt of seeing men actually struggle with their lives and men may lash out to their partners or their kids in some way as, as a coping mechanism. So patriarchy does negatively affect men, but I feel like men are blinded to how it negatively affects them because there's privilege tied into it as well. Yeah, and I think it's the privilege that makes it so hard because um, generally the privilege attached seems to supersede the negative impact. The way you've painted this picture makes it sound like it's really 
really terrible. It's really detrimental. And, yeah. um, I mean, I went to an all-girls school. I was at all-girls schools right through primary school until high school. And um, I know what I went through. And my brother went to all boys schools. I have an appreciation of what when he what he went through, and I've seen my friends who go to all boys schools. And a lot of the time, there's a lot of tr they have a lot of trouble assimilating into life outside of that space. And very few of them actually open up about the trauma that they experience. But on the other end of it, a lot of guys do take it as like what you're saying. It's character building. That's just how it is. You need to. I've even heard men express how thankful they are that they were bullied in that sense and that is why they want to protect the culture that's in those environments whereas as girls in those like our toxic school environments there's a lot of shift in movements towards like okay either don't send your school there or there are things about our all schools that need to change whereas with guys on the opposite they're like we need to preserve we need to keep it this way it's character building it's what makes you a man it's what's all of these things and I find that so fascinating because it's like it's detrimental and you see it but the other side is also wanting to protect that so is there room for men to like identify as feminists or or as allies or does the privilege of like the culture the society that we live in supersede what you've painted to sound like such harmful like results okay so I went to co-educational schools yeah all the way through and so I think for me it's like um, interacting with girls kind of got to like see the the way that things can alternatively be in terms of how men relate amongst themselves and with the world and so I'm not attached to to those ideas and I, I for, for like the last um, eight years of my junior school high school education they were in private school environments the schools were new so they didn't have like entrenched cultures of bullying or you know that whole thing of like grooming the kids to like be <laughs> yeah yeah to, to like be the strong men yeah yeah the, the culture wasn't really there yeah so yeah um they tried to micromanage the, the, the influences from people who went to more established schools. And I think that kind of affected me as well because it's like I didn't have attachments to these things that people glorified before. So it's like, oh, you were bullied, oh, you did initiation. I wasn't attached to those things because they didn't happen to me. And when they tried to introduced them into these schools. I was against it naturally because it's like, no, you're hurting someone. You know, you were hurt. Why do you think it's okay to pass it on? I think for a lot of men, it's, it's, a, it's a toxic attachment to, to the current setup of things. Understanding that you are hurting, but also thinking my time is coming and I'm gonna do this as well. From that point, can men be feminists? I'm gonna say no, men cannot be feminists because in as much as you can subscribe to the theory and the ideology and espouse it, letting go of that privilege is where things get iffy for men. Yeah. Actually letting go of your own male privilege and acknowledging that something needs to change and you need to like apply your own pressure at your own level in the spaces that you occupy be that change the political commitment is not there yet yeah. on a collective level that yeah. i can say 
Definitely, and I think um, I can relate to that a little bit uh, because as a woman who's genre heterosexual and all of those things, um, there are a lot of like privileged texts that I can acknowledge even though as a woman there's like the disadvantages, but there are parts of the privilege I can acknowledge and challenging those is hard because it means also allowing yourself to be put in a difficult situation for the sake of a bigger picture yeah. and I talked about this a little bit we explored this a little bit in our um, the episode we, where we discussed voting is that are your convictions that strong our convictions as a generation of Zimbabwe, young Zimbabweans that strong that I'm willing to put my life on the line for it and my answer to that was like well politically no because I don't think there's a party that espouses my beliefs so there's no party I'm willing to die for yeah. but then that also led me to introspect a little bit in the values that I do have if I'm saying I'm, I want to espouse feminist theories I want to be a feminist in like the most explicit sense of the term other things I'm willing to die for or willing to allow myself to be more exposed to for the sake of um, the values I think or the way I think the world should be and that is easier said than done for sure because the little privileges you do experience are nice and it's just how you live like literally yes. you cannot imagine <laughs> living with having an extra difficulty of I don't know like they're just little tiny things like when someone sees my last name and they just assume I'm Shana or Manika and you can like talk to them and they talk to you and they're like, oh, okay, you come to the front of the line. Whereas if you have a Ndebede last name or a last name that's not as common yes. on this side of the country, people, you are just going <laughs> to yes. have a harder time. Yeah. Um, in the first episode as well, I spoke to Amanda who is Ndebele and she moved to Harare for her job mm -hmm. and she's a lawyer. So at the high court, um, when you're in like the more informal settings and you're talking to the registrar to get your things pushed, you need to find common ground. And she's like, I found a way to speak Shana without speaking Shana because she's Ndebele, she doesn't know how to speak it. Okay. She's like, I found a way to make it look like I can just to get my things moving but I'm not I'm actually just nodding and saying like hey like yeah like you yeah, know yeah, trying yeah, to yeah. make it seem like we have but that's something I don't have to think about um, because of that and I can't imagine being like okay I'm gonna put that on the back burner for a bigger picture um, so I can only imagine with having certain privileges as a man, as soon as you walk into a room, or when you go to, if someone says we're going Kumusha, your heart doesn't sink the way my heart sinks. Like, or the way a woman's yeah. heart will sink, being like, yeah, it's hard labor time. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So I can imagine letting that go makes it difficult. Yeah. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine recently, and we were talking about how ours, as men particularly, we're a generation like, that's sowing the seeds for the kind of change that we want to see um, manhood or masculinity go. And so we're trying to build that collective, you know, and figure out what's the way forward. How do we let go of toxic masculinity? How do we build healthy masculinity? The conversations aren't happening at the scale that they need to be, though. So it's a bit difficult to kind of espouse these things because like even just thinking about maybe in queer settings the conversation around masculinity is a bit further along compared to heterosexual spaces so i don't know with laying down privilege now men have a lot of authority going into spaces 
I've noticed that like talking about something on the timeline, there's a certain level of seriousness that I'm engaged with that if a woman was to say the same thing, she was going to get misogyny, yeah. some type of hateful vitriol going on. But if I were to say the same thing or back them up, people are like, okay, Kuda's making a point, let's actually engage him on his level. And so I think a lot of men are like the ones who are progressive leaning are somewhat fearful, but they don't also realize like they do have the power to change things, the power to introduce new things. Embracing the idea of change, change as a value, is not something that's baked into the Zimbabwean psyche. Yeah, um, I do and don't agree. Um, <laughs> I don't know that, I think on social media, I, I like to live in that bubble where I yeah. think when people are having progressive conversations, this is what's happening. But I know on the ground, um, outside of social media, where someone feels safe. Um, and this is something I worry about as well, and I'm very hyper-conscious of as a woman. I sometimes think, am I a safe space for men to share their problematic views? Because sometimes I'm around my male friends, and they're like, oh, it's just Kim, I'm going to say X, Y, Z. And I'm like, yo, so you feel, you feel safe enough to say that around me? And the older I'm getting, and the more people are leaning towards, okay, I want partnership, um, I want to settle down, stop my life, whatever it is. The more conservative I'm finding, even people I assumed were very progressive, when it comes to making those sort of life decisions, the conservatism sort of like jumps out at them. So outside of like when we discuss safe topics and how you want to be perceived on the internet, which is what a majority of people in this country don't have access to, yeah. I think on the ground, um, one of my best friends uh, used to work for an NGO and they would do feminist work um, in the rural area. And she talked about how some of her colleagues experienced going to a village, the village knowing that this is this woman's organization that's going to come to talk about rights and birth control and contraceptives, and they would literally hide the women. And they would just be the rural men there saying, yeah, we're here to listen, we're the women, we don't, they're out doing whatever, but yeah, talk to us. Literally keeping them away from, yeah. from that chat. And it's not as if like NGOs that go to rural Zimbabwe are discussing um, very big like nuanced things. It's about period poverty. It's about access to basic commodities But even then there's still a lot of ring fencing around the narrative that's allowed to be shared among women um, In a majority well it, for most of the country. So in the social media bubble I like to think that there is progressive men, but even the most progressive men I've met. I'm just like oh there it is Ah, there, ah, there we go. Yeah, uh, that, that sounds normal yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree with you there, like, there is a disconnect, but I do think that men having that position that they have in society, the moment that they appreciate that power, and I think like, um, maybe like with a capitalist setup as well, there's, there's, there's a lot of leverage that comes with having more money. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So if you have more money, you are able to get away with certain things, introducing certain things into, in, into institutions, into organizations. And I think, yeah, again, it comes back to that commitment to actually say, am I going to go all the way through with the values that I say I hold? Or am I just going to like 
cower back and relax into this thing because it's familiar. Yeah. So the pushback is going to be there. It's 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 everywhere. It's everywhere. You get to a job interview, people ask you if you're single or married, if you are Christian or not, and already people are deciding to eliminate you based on how you respond to those things. So I think part of it is kind of like strategic making concessions, but at some point you have to put your foot down and say, I want things to go in a progressive direction. I want to change you know and so I think for me I'm young growing up in a liberal setting again I've kind of like internalized that I'm individualistic I'm not as much attached to the current systems that exist on a personal level but I understand that navigating those things with a hardline stance can affect my own trajectory so it's like I'm trying to negotiate Maybe I can lose this battle, but the one that's coming is more important, <laughs> you know. So trying to make sense of how to introduce changes in the spaces that I'm in. The conversations that I have are normally with my peers because it's like I know they're more open and receptive to new ideas, new ways of thinking and being. I know like with older people, they are much more rigid, much more hardline. I, I feel like on a personal level, I'm not as attached because of certain things that have happened in my life where it's like, no, this is really toxic, it has to change. Yeah. I, haven't, I haven't seen more of the benefits, I've seen more of like how detrimental things are. So my commitment stems from that place of like knowing the harm that I experienced and wanting to make sure that in the event that I have my own kids, I want to introduce a different environment, a different culture for them. So what would you say are the biggest harmful mindsets that you say you have no attachment to what I would call our cultural norms about what men are supposed to be? What are some of the harmful mindsets that are traditionally passed down to men that you've had to like challenge and really like try to like unlearn in order to like meet your commitment to change? Like again, the, the whole issue of being groomed into normalizing violence is not something that I really internalized. I think a part of it is kind of, uh, I have a soft-spoken personality, so it's like, uh, <laughs> I'm not that person. I, I, I just don't see myself doing harm to someone intentionally for any reason at all. Maybe for me, uh, extreme self-reliance is where I drop the ball because I've growing up certain experiences they made me hyper independent and so like learning how to actually be vulnerable and to open up about the things that I'm going through something that I'm learning how to do and as much as I've always like made space for myself to feel my emotions it's always been a private affair I've never really had a community of friends who can support me when I'm feeling down, when I'm feeling low. But I'm nurturing that now and trying to be more accountable. And yeah. If you don't mind me asking, um, where you say you are trying to create a community of friends who are more nurturing and where you can safely share 
like your experiences. Um, what 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 do those friends group of friends look like? Like, what is the makeup? How diverse it is? Is it mostly women? Is it mostly men? Is it like? I think at the start, it was mostly there was mostly like a small group of male friends. Then I think as things became more progressive and more feminist, <laughs> I kind of switched friendship circles so now I have mostly queer men and non-binary friends who I'm like opening up my experiences in ways that I know I would I would never have certain conversations with straight, straight men, men. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. because it's like there's a certain aversion to that certain level of vulnerability because I find that when um like when Kid Cudi, for example, had checked himself into um, an institution to take care of his mental health. Yeah. And there was the hashtag, you know, check on your bros. Um, I always wondered if in your male circles, especially with heterosexual men, if you really have space to open up. Because yes, the hashtags are there and you're being more and more encouraged now to do that. But is it actually happening? Because I imagine with the social conditioning that is like you need to be tough, self-reliant, and even that in and of itself is a violence. Is that even possible? That's why I was really interested to find where you are opening up. Yeah. Like, are you opening up to the boys, to the bros, or is it... Yeah, I think like my friendships with straight men, it's like... There's a certain level of vulnerability, but you can't go past past that. There's a there's an allowance, yeah, you know, and it takes longer to develop that trust. Yeah. Whereas with like, I think with queer men, non-binary people, like it's 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 they embrace it. They don't shy away from it because it's like. This is who we are. And I imagine that comes from like a complete rejection of the culture. Yes. So like it, uh, I think it really ties, like all of this really ties into their parts of the privilege. You just, the culture, everything you mm. need to let die, to let just, go of, to be able to open up and exist really. Yeah. 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 I think there's a lot, yeah, like I said again, they, they have had an advantage in reimagining what masculinity is supposed to be like before straight men caught onto that conversation. So with my friends now, it's like there's an acceleration in my personal development that's going on. Yeah. <laughs> the more I interact with them, the more I open up in ways that I know with my straight friends probably in two years we'll probably never have gotten to that level. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like the friendships that I've invested a lot of time in, but the return has been very little. But I think since last year, coming all the way through this year, I can see a, a very strong shift in how I think and do things now because of my proximity to them. Yeah, I can definitely um, resonate with that a little bit because I'm, as a recovering cool girl, pick me. <laughs> um, when I really started taking my mental health seriously, I yeah. used to have mostly male friends. Um, and that was just because I will admittedly be like, I, my female friends, I definitely took that, those friendships for granted. Um, male Having lots of male friends gave me access to more partnership opportunities. And I felt like 
getting into a relationship was my most important thing. So I'm like, the more guys I'm around, of course they're going to introduce me to their friends or I'm just going to be around their friends. So um, I wouldn't say I was one of those, oh, I'm not friends with women because of the drama. But it was just a mentality of like, I need... This is my main focus, to okay. find a person, to have an identity in a relationship. But when I started you know, challenging those notions, taking better care of my mental health, um, you kind of see my experience where you kind of see the boundary between how far you can go with your male friends. Even today, I once did spent a month telling my male friends, the ones I'm still close to, like, hey, bro, I love you. You're my friend. And they're like, oh, you know, thanks. One even was like, I think we need to have like a conversation. I'm like, oh dear, no, I'm just expressing an actual Plutonic love. Exactly. But you can see the boundary where I'm like, okay, even now I'm seeing our friendship is only going to reach a, a certain point. And um, in putting more time and energy and effort into my female friendships, um, that has been very nurturing. So I, I don't find that um, your experience too difficult to relate to. And in our economy now, um, it's difficult to be completely self-reliant. Um, the idea of a single income household, unless you're disgustingly rich by questionable means, is really, it's, it's a hard thing to conceptualize, not only just here, but I guess the world over. But in our culture, specifically now, in the current economic circumstances, do you think there are cultural norms that need to shift to suit the way things are right now? Right now, it's everyone needs to go to work. Yes. Everyone needs to be hustling. There's the shift of we need um, yes women our, our culture doesn't recognize as Shauna people for example the idea of a stay at home mom the idea of staying at home is there was still labor involved yeah. but then this idea of the head of the house who's earning more where the money gets yeah. pulled to like all of that in the current economic circumstances I feel like it's really difficult because you said in funerals I found that our gender roles in the funerals I've experienced, my gender role is important until it's time for money. When it's time for money, it's like, no, come out of the kitchen, we need to chat, you need to contribute. I'm like, but I'm a woman, like, I'm contributing labor, now you want me to contribute labor and money? So, are there things in our culture that need to shift? Mm, I think we need to embrace the way things are now. I feel like things have been shifting, but it's like, People have been taking the parts that work for their own advantages and leaving out the parts that they find undesirable. So it's like, okay, you have women in the family who are earning a lot of money. They still want them to show up financially, right? Yes. And they still want them to be cooking and cleaning and washing the clothes and all those in addition to, to, showing, up, yeah. to showing up financially. So I think we need to lose the whole gender role thing and just like embrace the fact that we need to be more collaborative and work together, recognize what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses. But I think people fail to recognize that because again, these templates have already existed and it's like easy to fall into. How do we apportion our responsibilities in ways that work for us so i think the liberalism is showing yeah. <laughs> the liberalism well, the is showing of it. Yeah. because it's like i think in that like individualistic sense but maybe in the grander scheme of things 
I don't know what could be done to move the needle forward. There's like a level of sameness that should underpin your relations and that sense of community that people expect. So if you're seen deviating, people alienate you, people push you to the side. So um, I don't know. I don't know. To <laughs> me, a, we have like weird. Ubuntu, all yes. of these ideas. But our economic circumstances have made people extremely selfish. And I've spoken about this before. When you're driving, there's no sense of community. <laughs> Everyone is like, I'm trying to get to where I'm going. Exactly. When it comes to making money, I'm trying to get to where I'm going. Exactly. Even the idea of, you know, when you're in the shops, um, yeah, just the way people interact with each other is so individualistic but we're expected to still have this idea of like a community. social a bigger community even within families um, you get uh, the super super rich relative will employ the cousin as a maid you know because they've been bereaved for they're, they're not with their parents they're orphaned whatever it is but they come in not as an equal in the family but as a worker and to me I'm like okay but that's not our culture you know that's not how things should work but that's acceptable but now when I want to say okay perhaps we should get rid of our gender roles and maybe everyone at the funeral cooks or dare I say let's get it catered you know <laughs> um, something those sort of things where you have an expectation to fulfill a certain role but the circumstances don't always allow it and we need more community, but we're more individualistic. It's such a weird space to be in because culturally you've learned one thing. Practically on the ground, economically, it's not viable. So I think the way I think about this, and I was something, I don't have an answer, by the way. <laughs> something needs to shift, but I don't know exactly how. I feel like we know where we want to go, but practical steps to getting there mm. are harder because it's like everyone has different experiences and different exposures and those things those exposures your socialization they have a huge impact on how you are going to live your life later on mm. and so a lot of people aren't adaptable to change mm. yet i don't know i feel like again it comes back to sowing those seeds and yeah opening people up to the idea of doing things in a different way i know like even in a macro situation i remember interacting with a politician online for you know the whole avocado intern spat <laughs> and yeah it was like they're a party that's supposed to represent change but you are leaning into a corporate culture that's deeply entrenched which doesn't represent the values you claim to espouse. So how do you really reconcile that that disconnect? Because I, I talked about this a little bit in a previous episode as well about formal employment, how the corporate culture definitely represents the political culture. And mm. that you sort of look at your boss, they want to be treated as some kind of parental figure and have that kind of unspoken for respect simply because of the position that they're taking up. So I completely agree with that, even politically, something needs to shift and if you are claiming to be for change, it needs to also be a shifted, like, mindset. Yes. Uh, like, yeah. in, in your own spheres, what are you doing? Mm. 
before we start thinking of having a responsibility for 18 million people in this country, in your own spheres, how are you moving the needle forward? And I think about that a lot because it's like, it's a grassroots thing. It's a day-to-day So for men, learning how to show up in the home, be present, be involved in your kids' lives, know more than just their favorite teams. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just because it's your team just as well. Just because it's yeah. your team as well. Or because they're interested in something that you're interested in. Know your children. Know what they like and what they don't like. Know your partners as well. Treat them right. I know, in in a way, it's, it seems bare minimum, but it's not happening. So I guess what would need to change is the having a degree of flexibility. Yeah. That things aren't. It shouldn't just be how it is because that's how it's always been, basically. Yeah. Especially under the current circumstances. Um, you find yourself playing multiple roles that outside of what you've been taught, outside of what you're expected to do, you may be having to do more and we need to move away from just this is how it's supposed to be because I'm a man or because I'm a woman. So do you think, what role do you think men now have to take up that probably wouldn't be acceptable back in the day? And by back in the day, I mean like when that it was possible to be the ideal man. <laughs> I think maybe first thing on my mind would be childcare. Mm. Childcare, men, because it's, it's it's ironic how people pathologize children with single mothers, but at the same time, it's like the outcomes of those children compared to people in two-parent households. Um, you know, a lot of fathers aren't they're physically present, but it's like. They don't know their children well. They're quintessentially strangers living under the same roof. They're things that their mothers know, but their fathers are totally oblivious to because they're not as emotionally invested in in the development of their lives and just the day-to-day happenings. So... And they're not expect, they weren't expected they weren't to expected be. They weren't expected to. Yeah. If anything, they were expected to be distant, which I think hampers, you know, like the, the development of boys especially. Because mm. boys are tend to, people tend to be like, um, boys, just, just let them be. Yeah. Just let them find their way. Mm. But I feel like a lot of boys need guidance. I think it's a conversation that I was having with a few friends that I'm realizing the kind of man I want to be I have never seen that man in my personal life <laughs> you know so it's, it's a bit difficult how do you hold yourself accountable when no one's mentoring you towards that direction and yeah I think so for now it's like I'm relying on my friends to hold me accountable to the values that I want to spouse and the things that I believe in. And I think as a woman, for, for me, I the kind of woman I want to be, um, I never met her, if that makes sense. I <laughs> yeah. never encountered growing up. Yeah. Um, it was more being like vigilant about the circumstances that you're just like, oh, okay. And you're influenced by media where you're like, okay, maybe this is wrong. What I saw growing up 
in my household was wrong, this was bullying, this was abuse, this was this, this was this, and you're thinking, okay, this is who I'd want to be. Um, I didn't physically meet that person, but like I was just exposed and eventually was like, okay, this is someone I look up to, this is someone who like carries these values and all of those things. Exactly. That comes with like a lot of exposure. Yeah. Um, and I feel like in the current circumstances, I only had that exposure because I'm very privileged. And exactly. when it comes to what you're saying about the grassroots and everything, then I have a role to take up for someone who doesn't have access to the media, to the things that I have access to, they would have access to me. Um, mm. And then that you then become the change you'd want to see in the yes. sense that are you around are you people, are you modeling the change you'd want to be or you're also coming to spit theories to someone who may not be able to see it in like a practical sense. And I think that's challenging for any man, but challenging for any person to be like, if this is what you'd want to see, aside from fighting on social media, aside from protesting in real life, are you actually, as a person, an example of what you're hoping to see out there? Easier said than done, um, but yeah, if you really want to be the change, whichever political party it. you're listening Don't to, talk about be it. about it. Yeah. Otherwise, just say I'm the same thing just a different color. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. no, that's cool. Kuda, thank you so much for making the time to join us. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for having me. Yeah, do you have any last words, anything you want to plug? I would like to recommend men in as much as you are claiming to be progressive, you have to actually be about it. Check your bros. Check on your bros. <laughs> <laughs> And open yourself up to new ideas. Be flexible and be open to change. Um, plug or plug myself. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at kuda underscore nyangoni. So that's at k u d a underscore n y a n g o n i. Um, my newsletter kuda speaks an alternate perspective. You can also find it on my Twitter there yeah that's about it fine you'll find good on all of that and i guess i'll catch you guys next week and that is the episode. A huge shout out and thank you once again to Kuda for joining us on the platform. I have included a link to his newsletter in the description. So just click that subscribe and his thought provoking points of view and commentary will go straight to your inbox every month. So do enjoy that. Um, and thank you for listening. I do, as always, appreciate all of the support and engagement so far. And a very, very, very special shout out to everyone who has supported on the um, PayPal via the PayPal. I am really excited to firstly improve the quality of the podcast, but also start exploring and sharing on different mediums. And that is going to be made possible through your support so far and your continued support. So thank you so, so much. And I will catch you next week for the final episode of season two. And we'll be taking a small hiatus, more details about that next week. But of course, we'll be back soon because I love doing this. So yeah, I will catch you next week.